It's good to see you. My name's Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at River West. Uh, Great to see you. Um, If you need a Bible, and the answer, of course, is yes, you do need a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there are some folks who would love to give you one tonight as we dive into God's Word together. Just raise your hand. Somebody will hand you one. If you're using one of those Bibles, we're going to turn to page, I think it's 684. And um, for the rest of you, Isaiah chapter 53 is what we're going to dive into tonight. It's what we're going to study together. It's what we're going to learn from. This morning, I I saw one of of my friends. His name's Daniel. He's one of the elders here at our church, and I love him. And uh, part of his role as an elder is to pray for those of us who are preaching. And so I saw him this morning and he said, how are you doing? And I was like, I'm doing terrible. Because the life of a preacher is like six days of of total torment and anguish. And I'm a particularly like melancholic kind of person. So literally every moment until I walk on this stage is torment and, uh, and, and like a little bit of depression. And then I get up on stage and I feel like everything I'm going to say is funny. And I get to talk to you about how much I love the Bible. And so, but until that moment, it's, it's, um, it's hard. So Daniel says, Eric, how are you doing? I'm like, not great, but yes, you can pray for me. And he looked at me and he said, tonight, this is great. He said, tonight you're going to open Isaiah 53 and it is literally the passage of scripture that God used to save me. And I was like, okay, tell me more. And, you know, Daniel, part of Daniel's story is, is he grew up in a, in a Jewish family. And, and, and he told me, he said, I, I literally wouldn't even speak the name Jesus until one day I read Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 9 and my, my eyes opened and my heart turned from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And I saw that Jesus was in fact the Messiah and, and he saved me in that moment. I've been following him ever since. And I said, well, that'll preach. And I'm using that tonight. I could literally just read the passage of scripture and tell you that and we'd be good. But I am actually feeling really good about tonight. Now that I'm up here, I feel really good. And I like all of you that I can see. <laughs> but the lighting is, it's bad. So tonight, we're going to dive into uh, chapter 53 of Isaiah. Um, the the portion of scripture that we're going to read tonight actually starts at the end of chapter 52, but relax, it's only six verses we're going to look at tonight, starting in 52, verses 13. The first word you're going to hear tonight in the text is the word behold, which is Isaiah's favorite word in his book that he's written, and it's a word that means to unveil. It's a word that Isaiah uses when he wants us to pay attention to something, and our passage starts with the word behold, I'll read it to you now. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. And what you just heard was the word of God that comes to us in the form of Hebrew poetry. And my guess is that as, as we read that passage of scripture together, as you, as you listened to the word of God, you felt tension. At least I hope you did. There's, there's a tension in the, passion, in the passage that we just read tonight. And I want to title this message, When God Shows Up. You can write that down. When God Shows Up. We've been in a series where we're looking into the book of Isaiah, specifically into chapters 40 through 53, which comprises these four different servant songs. And these songs are a prophetic revelation of the coming Messiah. This Messiah who would one day come and he would rule and reign over all the earth. These songs are looking to him. But the present condition that Isaiah is writing into is to to a people who are longing for deliverance from their captors. It's a group of people living in exile and captivity, and they are longing for God to show up. But also, they're longing for a Messiah to come to redeem them from their sins. And so this passage has an immediate sense to it, but it also has a futuristic sense to it, and we need to hold and carry that as we look into it tonight. But what we'll see in this fourth song, and I believe this wholeheartedly, is we'll see what happens when God shows up. Two things that I want you to consider tonight, two things that I want to explore underneath that theme of when God shows up, is this, is when God shows up, often we don't even notice him. And if we do, we don't like what we see. Say that again. When God shows up, he goes unnoticed often. And also when he shows up, we don't even like what he reveals to us. Now tonight I'm going to go into some other passages outside of Isaiah chapter 53. But I want you to just leave that passage open tonight. And I want you to turn. I know that Adam always says, I love the sound of the turning pages. I want to hear no turning pages tonight. We will put the passage of scriptures on the screen. But I want you to open and keep open Isaiah 53. And I want you to ask the Lord to reveal to you tonight, what is this telling me about Jesus? Um, in this passage, it, it starts with an amazing amount of positivity. And I'll put verse 13 up on the screen. It starts this way. It says, behold, my servant shall act wisely. So remember the word behold means pay attention. I want you to listen to this. And it says, my servant will act wisely. Now, in some of your Bibles, I know that there's a little number next to it that will point you to the bottom of the page and use perhaps a different phrase than wisely. A lot of... Um, a lot of interpreters would say that this passage actually says, Behold, my servant shall prosper. And I like that word because it actually gets at what the servant is doing. Certainly the servant has infinite amounts of wisdom, but what, the, what Isaiah is trying to say to us is that the servant is going to accomplish everything that he is seeking to do. He won't fail. The servant is wise, but he knows what he's doing, and he can't be stopped. And not only will he win, not only will he conquer, but this passage says that he shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And that's what we read at first. It's positive. 
It's exciting. It's hopeful. Remember, this is, a, this is a people who are living in captivity, a people who are longing to be delivered, and they're longing to see a Messiah arrive, and Isaiah is talking about that Messiah. Verse 15, it goes on and says this. It says, He shall sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That phrase, arm of the Lord, that's a beautiful phrase in the scriptures. It's used at least 40 times in the scriptures. It's, it's like biblical code for God has arrived. And not just arrived, God has come in power. He cannot and will not fail. The, the image is, um, this will probably be embarrassing, but the image is actually of like a warrior standing um, in front of a battle and he's holding a sword and his arm is flexed and bare. And you're probably thinking that a better pastor would be a good illustration of this. Like maybe Mike, but you get me tonight. Um, his arm's bared. He's holding a sword and he's ready to go into battle. And this is our image. Who has seen the arm of the Lord in this way? According to the biblical writers, this, this actually meant that God was coming to do something that Israel, God's people, would not be able to do for themselves. And when the arm of the Lord is revealed, when God shows up in power, Isaiah actually gives us the kind of response that God is looking for. And it's just a few verses above what we just read. If you turn the page before, in 52 verses 7 through 10, it says this, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared, look at this, his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. When the arm of the Lord is revealed, it's time to sing. It's time to cry out. It's actually time to shout and cheer and celebrate together. This is, this is how God longs that we would respond to him when he reveals himself in this way. And what Isaiah is telling us, I believe in this passage, is that the arm of the Lord is not just something that God does. It's actually God himself that comes in the person of Jesus Christ, the servant king, the Messiah the arm of the Lord looks ahead to Jesus Christ himself. And so tonight, we're going to ask this question. How do people respond to Jesus when he shows up? When God shows up in Jesus, how do we respond? And as we said before, often we don't even notice him or we don't like what we see. I want to get back into the text a little bit. In 53 verse 2, it says this. It says, he grew up like him. He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. 
He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Now this is actually a picture of what Jesus would be like. This is the way Isaiah describes the Savior of the world. He describes him this way. Deliverers, um, warriors are, are often magnetic kinds of people. People are drawn to them. Like the image I think of is almost like a William Wallace, the sword, it's so huge. And people are drawn to them like, I want to get on board with what that guy is doing. And Jesus is described completely different. It uses this phrase like a young plant in a root out of dry ground. Jesus doesn't burst out onto the scene like a tall tree that's bearing fruit, that's majestic and, and tall and, and, and amazing to look at. It says it's more like a sprout or an unwanted shoot that springs up from the exposed root of a tree. The house that I just moved out of had um, like so many trees and they were so close to the house. These big, huge, like 80 feet tall trees were just, just surrounded the house, which was literally my nightmare. I would, I like every, like in the fall, the jokes are just going to get better. But in the fall, every fall, I would, I'd be on the roof twice a week, blowing pine needles off out of the gutters. The gutters are clogged completely. Um, maybe you live in a neighborhood like this. The gutters are always clogged and there's always pine needles just covering the entirety of the, of the roof. And every week, twice a week, I'm up there with a blower. I had this blower that is... Um, it's an electrical blower, um, so that's not a good thing. And, and it has an, like an 80-foot cord connected to it that doesn't stay connected ever. And so I'm holding the cord and the, thank you, and then I'm, I'm blowing off the roof. You can imagine me doing that, flexing, bearing my arm, and uh, blowing off the roof. And I'm not kidding you, every time, because there's a cord, every time I would knock the ladder off. You know what I'm saying? Like the cord knocks the ladder down and I'm up there, and the neighbors are looking at me, and there's a lot of runners in my neighborhood. They're running by, and I'm like, help, I'm, I'm on the roof. And uh, literally, this is how I would get down. I would shimmy down like the outside of the chimney. Like, just, like this is 10 feet or more down, and, uh, and it was terrible. There's no point to that story, but, but there were trees everywhere is the point of the story. There were trees everywhere, and there was one tree in particular that... Um, the roots were exposed, and uh, you could always see these little, like what's being described here, these little, like, sprouts or sprig. I don't even know what the word is to describe. The, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, out of the roots, something's a sucker. Okay, there's suckers everywhere. And um, suckers growing out of the tree, the roots that are exposed. And from a distance, you wouldn't even notice them. But if you, if you came up close to them, you'd be like, oh, I don't want to see that. Like, I don't want to see that on my lawn. So I was constantly just shoving, shoveling bark chips on top of them, trying to get these little suckers to go away. I like that they're called suckers. But constantly trying to cover them, constantly trying to get rid of them. And that is exactly Isaiah's point when he describes Jesus. Unnoticed. And if, and if you do notice, it's maybe even a little bit of annoyance, and you're like, oh, we got to get rid of that. That's actually the picture that we get of the coming Messiah, servant, King, Jesus. 700 years before, from the prophet Isaiah, 
He goes on as he talks about him. He says that he had no form of majesty that would draw anyone to even look at him. No beauty that would be desirous. And now I want you to think about the life of Jesus. What are some of the ways that the first people that we read the records of how they responded to Jesus, what are some of the things they say? They say things like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Or they say things like, isn't that Joseph's kid? Like him? Like that's who we're looking for? Jesus is born in the back stable of a tiny hotel. And this, this person's going to defy the Roman Empire. This is the person who's going to redeem the people from their sins. I mean, no wonder he goes unnoticed. He's just a kid from a small, poor town. Just a kid from Nazareth. Jesus experiences, I think, I think probably the greatest amount of indifference that somebody could have in their life. People, people often are like, who, him? And, and if they begin to notice him, they don't even know what to do with him. So Jesus' rejection isn't just from outsiders, but actually it's, it comes from some of the people that are closest to him. I want to talk about one of my favorite biblical characters, John the Baptist. If you've read any of the gospel accounts, every gospel account has a story of Jesus being baptized. And some of them are, are a longer account with, that's more descriptive, and some of them are short um, and really concise. But each of the gospels describe this moment when Jesus is baptized. And, and if you know the story, Jesus, he shows up to where John is. And uh, John is the most famous preacher and prophet of the day in Israel and also Jesus's cousin. And Jesus shows up and he approaches John and he says, um, will you baptize me? And do you remember how John responds like, I'm pretty sure you should baptize me. Like our moms have been talking and I'm pretty sure you're the son of God. But um, okay. And he goes for it and he baptizes him. And every gospel account describes this almost like transcendent scene where the heavens open and God the Father looks down and speaks and says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased with. An amazing, beautiful passage of scripture. And John the Baptist, we don't know exactly what he witnesses, but he, we know that he's there for that moment participating in it. But in Matthew 11, later on in the story of Jesus, John the Baptist from prison actually sends out messengers to Jesus and his disciples. And, and he, he sends out messengers and he has a question for them. John says, I need to know, are you actually the one who is to come or should we look for another? You can read it later in in Matthew 11, are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? And this is Jesus being doubted by those who are closest to him. This is his family, this is, the, this is the prophet of the day. So John, not only does, does he know Jesus, but also he has this unique insight into what God has done and what God is doing as a, as a prophet he has this amazing insight into all of these things. And even he is sending out messengers and saying, are, is it really you? Are you really the one 
Are we waiting for someone else? He must have thought that it would be different when God shows up. And that's, I think, what we often think. God, when you show up, I I imagined it would be different. Perhaps, just to be really honest, I imagined it would be better. There's John in prison. Is, 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 Is it really you, the deliverer who has come? Jesus, he doesn't play by our rules. He doesn't show up always in the way that we expect him to. But he does show up. And so what are we seeing? What are we learning about Jesus? And and I want to say this. I think that what we're learning at this point is that we need eyes of faith so that when God shows up, we actually notice him. When God shows up, we, we actually see him. And even more than that, we respond to him in the way that he desires but when Jesus shows up, he's, he's unnoticed, underappreciated. People respond, even those closest to him, with disbelief. But also, many respond with disdain and disgust. Many actually do see and begin to get a sense of, of who he is, and there's, I, don't wanna, I don't even want to look at that. And that's, just not, that's not just the death of Jesus, that's actually the life of Jesus, I don't want you to turn there, but Luke 4, I'm going to read this account to you of Jesus. This is Jesus. He shows up in his hometown. And um, it seems like it's going to go really well, and then it doesn't. Luke 4, verses 16. This is, this is what it says. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. So the book of Isaiah is where Jesus goes for his first recorded sermon. I think that's interesting. He he rolls open the scroll and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Listen to this. He rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And I want to read what happens next. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him. And marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, isn't this Joseph's kid? I'm not going to read the whole story. Some of you may know what happens. They're marveling at him. They're like, this guy's impressive. This is actually pretty good stuff. And Jesus sees that their appreciation for him is superficial. He knows that they actually just want him to perform some kind of a miraculous trick for them. They've heard about some of the things that he's done, and and he calls them out on this. He tells this long Old Testament story, um, and he says, I see what you're doing. I see what you want from me, and I'm actually not willing to do it. And then he says, a prophet never has, uh, is never welcomed in his hometown. 
And then it says, the story says, you can read it later, they, they're filled with wrath, which is never a good sign. They're filled with wrath and they literally run him out of town. And Nazareth is, is set near like a, some cliffs. And so they run him out of town with the intent of throwing him off the cliff so that he will die. And literally five minutes ago, they were marveling at him. And isn't that interesting? When people begin to see Jesus, often they don't like what they see. They don't like his message. They don't like his method. They look at Jesus and there's this disdain. The, it's, it's almost repulsed. They're saying, we need to kill this guy. Sometimes God shows up and we don't notice him. And sometimes he does and we do. And we hate what we see. I think that a lot of times we, we have this belief that the life of Jesus was really awesome. Like he, he grew up and we don't know much about that. And then he had these three years where he was killing it. You know what I mean? Like this is how we think about it. He was a successful rabbi and everybody loved him. And he was so awesome. But actually... Jesus' life was filled with more rejection, disdain, disapproval than any of us could possibly imagine. Imagine him knowing who he is and experiencing the denial that he did. This was his life, and all of it revealed the way that he would die. Let's look again in at 52 Verses 13 to 14. Yes, I'm reading this verse for the third time, but I want you to see this, these two verses together. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He's going to accomplish what he set out to do. He shall be high and lifted up and exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Isaiah is saying, in this passage, he's saying, the servant is going to be lifted up on high. He is, you're going to see him lifted up and exalted. And in the very next breath, he says, you, you're not even going to be able to look at him. When this servant is lifted up and exalted, you'll be so grossed out by him, you'll think that this isn't even a human anymore. He's rejected. We don't even want to see him. He's not worth looking at. The servant is lifted up. Jesus is exalted, but Isaiah says he's lifted up to the cross. And he's telling us the accomplishment of Jesus what he's working towards in his whole ministry is actually seen as he hangs on a cross, barely human, unrecognizable, and rejected. And we know this. And we know that Jesus knew this. In John 12, 32, Jesus says this. These are his words. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself, just like what we saw in Isaiah, 
But listen to this. It says, he said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus is working in his life towards his greatest accomplishment and success, but it's not him being hoisted on people's shoulders and paraded throughout the city of Jerusalem. It's actually him putting the cross upon his shoulder, stumbling through the streets of Jerusalem, being spit on and mocked and humiliated and kicked and beaten, his back whipped so many times that his bones are literally visible. And Isaiah says, that is when he wins. That is his victory. This is his success. Fifty-three, three. We'll we'll bring this to a close. Describes him this way. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised. And we esteemed him not. There's a word, I want to leave this verse up for a minute. There's a word at the beginning and the end of it, it the word is despised. And it's a word, it, the word in Hebrew is different than the, the word we would use for despise. If we would use the word despise, we would mean like an emotional thing, like, like I hate that, I despise that. But in the Hebrew, that word actually means, it's, it's more like if you despise something, you don't even look at it. It would be like if, if you despised a, a person, you would look at them and then never look at them again. And Isaiah is telling us, that's Jesus. He's despised. He's looked at once and cast aside. That same verse, it goes on to say that others hide their faces from him. Some don't even want to look at him. He's unnoticed. And, and some say, I, I, I can't even look at that. I can't possibly agree that that is the arm of the Lord. I can't possibly agree with that being God showing up in power is this broken man hanging on a cross. But the scriptures tell a different story, don't they? And we're people of the word. We're people who believe that this is a revelation of Jesus. And we're people who believe, like it says in 52, 7 through 10, that we are called to look at the arm of the Lord and worship the servant. And to lift up his name. When it describes the servant as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, I just, I really believe that that phrase for many of you sounds like your story. And you, you look at this passage and you say, acquainted with grief and sorrow, and you say, that's actually me. There's many of us in in this room where almost every memory that we have is, is rejection and, and denial. Some of us may be students who walk down the hall and, you see, and people look at us once and, and never again. And that is our experience. 
But tonight, what I want you to know and I want you to see and I want us to believe is that that was Jesus' experience as well. So whatever we say about Jesus and whatever we think about our lives, we have to believe that if we've experienced rejection and denial and betrayal, that he has experienced it infinitely worse than we have. He's acquainted with it. He knows it. He's experienced it. And yet, he's come to redeem it. It takes the eyes of faith to see Jesus hanging on a tree and not want to run away from that. When we have the eyes of faith, where the world will look at that and say, no, I'm not even interested in that. It's, it's terrible. Get that away from me. We are a people who rather than running from the cross, we run to it. We cling to it. We hold on to it. It's where we see Jesus lifted high. We're people of the cross. We look at this story and long to embrace the cross as Jesus has. We long to embrace the cross because that is our story. Jesus Christ enters the world, experiences rejection and denial at the deepest and most profound levels, identifies with us, and yet redeems us. And the cross is proof. The cross is the evidence that Jesus sees us, that God knows us, that God always shows up. And tonight, we're invited to believe and sing that story, much like we read in 52.7, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, who announce that the good news of the gospel is the cross of Jesus. I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come up tonight. And we're going to sing to him. We're going to sing about the cross. And hopefully, with great faith, we'll, we'll say, Lord, help us to identify with you as you identify with us. We don't want to reject you. We want to behold you. We don't want to mock you. We want to worship you. What greater place to do that as we worship than at the table? And that's why we come to the table every week. So that we can see the cross. So that we can cling to it. So that we can hold on to this because it is the best thing that has ever happened as Jesus is lifted up. And yes, we know the story. We know Jesus on the cross was not the end. We know he was put in a tomb. We know that he rose on the third day. We know that he appeared to his disciples, that he poured out the Holy Spirit, that he actually is seated at the right hand of God and, and, and ruling in our, in our world. But we hold on to the cross every day. And say, Lord, help me see this the way you do. Help me embrace the cross 
because you did. And the table is where we do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your truth. It's everything to us. I pray, Lord, that tonight, as we respond to you, that somehow the vision of you on the cross would lead us to great joy and great celebration because you're victorious. You've accomplished what you set out to do. You're the redeemer of our lives and freed us from our sins. And each week we come to remind ourselves of that. Help us to do that tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Tonight, come to the table. We're going to spend a little bit of extended time in worship and singing together, looking to the cross, but um, take the elements uh, any time during these next few songs and, and, and take them and remind yourself of the body of Jesus broken for us, the blood of Jesus spilled on our behalf, the victory of God in Christ. Take it, take and eat as you will, and let's lift up one voice together tonight. Amen. Amen.